0: Ian Roberts and Jason Smith, I think they've had a head clash. The young bulldog is still on the ground. Roberts got up, took a look over his shoulder.
1: Today, South's coach George Piggins claimed that Ian Roberts has not had not only signed with rival Club Manly, but he tried to take other South Sydney youngsters with him.
0: Brent Todd Hammond! What a great tackle from Roberts! Incredible hit. Ian Roberts has been on an amazing journey as a footballer, a gay activist and a movie actor. Defensive oh, Roberts again, this time it's Coyne. He's trying to lift his side. You want to talk about some emotion here. Look out Gary Coyne,
1: good night. Welcome back, Sam Thayde here and I am honoured to be the host of of this podcast, We Are Human. We Are Human is a podcast that uh, I started to uh, be able to give a voice to to people and and also paint a human element to some of these uh, sporting elite superstars, uh, people that we put up on pedestals, uh, people who we look up to and admire, and just let everyone else out there know that we are human too. Uh, I am happy to have my next guest on to tell his story now, if they made a movie out of his story, you would not believe it was true. A real <laughs> NRL hard man who played in the 80s and 90s uh, in a time where forwards dominated, uh, debuted at the age of 20 in 1986 uh, for the South Sydney Rabbitohs where he played 65 games, also playing 100 games for Manly and finishing off a great career at the Cowboys, playing 29 games and also captained the club at one point in time. So... Uh, 194 club games over 12 years, absolutely fantastic, but also represented uh, his state in New South Wales and his country of Australia. Uh, some have labelled him, now these aren't my words, some people have labelled him a thug, uh, an enforcer, <laughs> a real hard man of rugby league, but uh, I'll tell you right now, by the end of this podcast, you will realise that he's one of the nicest human beings you'll ever get to know. Uh, now he uses his time, his uh, his profile and his voice to promote positive change in today's society. It is my pleasure to introduce Ian Roberts. Ian Roberts, mate, <laughs> welcome. Sam, Sam, thank you, mate.
0: That was quite an introduction.
1: I don't know if I can live up to that. <laughs> no, mate, uh, there's, there's some fantastic things in there like, uh, and, and all of it uh, uh, is, is absolutely true. You, you came through a, a rugby league uh, era of, of the big... Uh, forwards, uh, some real hard men uh, through the 80s and 90s. So everything I said in that piece uh, is absolutely uh, the truth, mate. So uh, thank you very much for joining us.
0: I accept that compliment. Thank you very much, Stan. It's, it's lovely to be here, mate.
1: I always like to start off with with your childhood, mate. Um, what was it like for young Ian Roberts to, 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 to grow up?
0: Um, mate, we... Um my parents uh i'm english uh, my my parents uh me my older brother and older sister were all 10 pound poms we came over from england in 1967. um uh, my mum and dad came from a, an area uh, in london battersea which is now quite highbrow but it back then it was very very working class very uh, low social economic uh it was uh very much a, a working working class um area um they came over here we lived and yeah you know, we they were just doing their but they initially came over just as a holiday they thought they um because the the original 10 pound pond thing was if you came over two years they'd pay for you to go back yeah uh if you wanted to so they thought they were just going to come over for for two years for a bit of a holiday it was a, obviously a cheap holiday they turned up um originally in western australia then they went to Wollongong, and ended up in sydney um we stayed we lived in the in the hostels for for a couple of years down at Matraville, um and then we lived in the housing commission mate right up until um various housing commission estates right up around sydney um and and in the eastern suburbs predominantly in south sydney area Um, until i was about 17 when my parents Bought a house for I think the I think the house cost in Botany for for about fifty five thousand dollars, which was like monstrous money back then. Like, now, um, and now you can't and, even
1: uh, you can't even breathe at a house for fifty five thousand in Botany. Mate, that's not even a deposit.
0: <laughs> you know that, 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 that's stamp duty. Yeah. Um, you know uh, I also have a younger sister. She was born out here a couple of years after uh, we arrived. Um, I would say, mate, so the education it wasn't valued as much. In my in my family, my parents didn't have a great value for education. My dad was, and I'm not like my mum was a cleaner all her life, and my dad was a, like a process worker within, within a factory all his life. And I'm not running those jobs down, but that's just a, the background they come from. They came from the proper working um, class family. S- school was almost like um, a substitute, like child caring centre for my mum and dad while they were at work. Someone looked, you know, someone some place to, to looked after the kids. Um, uh my my sisters were always going to be like my sisters were they were always going to be secretaries or cleaners and my brother and I were always going to be tradesmen of some sort. Yeah. Or or maybe um uh just a process line worker somewhere, you know, like there was never a great value. That was that was um that was my parents' way, it's just the background they came from. Um i started playing footy when i was like five because that's just what what you did what everyone did back then It's just like went off with the neighbors dad ended up being one of the managers of the team that type of scenario you know just ended up playing with schoolmates and neighbors um kind of moved through the ranks um i was kind of lucky i was always kind of a little bit uh had a little bit bit of talent moved you played all those Junior representative teams like Matthew Shield, SG Ball, Flag, uh, President's Cup, and all that. And then I got some um, I graded in for South in like eighty, right at the end of eighty five, and I played a few reserve grade games in eighty five, and yeah. yeah, then I kicked off in eighty six.
1: Yeah, sport was a, a lot easier than school was for yourself.
0: But I, I only went to read and write when I was uh, I was nearly thirty five. I went to read and write. I um, kind of dodged. <laughs> uh i was that kid at school that every time he got asked to stand up and read from the book i'd have a tantrum or pretend i'd kick the bag or insult the teeth you know insult the- insult someone or throw things around and get sent out i was that kid when i was in six uh not six uh first class is now when you're like six or seven i had to repeat and i remember the shame of that and and the, like um because i couldn't it wasn't really diagnosed um until much later on. Like back then I was a six year old who couldn't couldn't like not couldn't only not read or, or, or write I couldn't even draw the word draw the letters type yeah. thing. It was like um but I was always kind of good with numbers. But I always felt sh- I remember that shame of like being uh, standing there with my parents and the teacher just saying, Oh, Ian's going to repeat and my mum and dad were fine. They it didn't really bother them but all my all my mates then went ahead of me. So I was always a year, when I repeated that year, I was always a year older than than most of the people in in my class from then on. And I always felt a real shame about that. Yeah, Like I've carried that shame all my life. I I carried that all my life. It's just like, yeah, that more than anything else, like really affected me as a kid. That just that uh, always, it sounds weird, Sam, but feeling dumb. Yeah, like when, no, like no, no. Feeling dumb. Like when like having to write things out. People just take for granted. Like, just take this down, Ian. Would you? I need you to just just take these notes. Or, Ian, can you uh, just just can you just read what's in the, on the page? Like do, like stuff like that. I always used it in that sense of feeling. I, I can't explain it any other way. I have to use the word dumb. Like to, just dumb and almost a little bit pathetic.
1: Mate, okay. I, I I know exactly where you're coming from because for me it was at school, if, if it was my turn to get up in front of the class and read something, it was tell a joke, do something silly. So then I was always the class clown. And then I got kicked out for those reasons. So yeah. I, I understand where you're coming from big time. And for me, I, I think because I shone so much with my sporting talents, I was kind of given a little bit more leeway and I was kind of helped out a little bit more by my teachers and kind of passed on to the next one and it would be someone else's problem. Um, You know, I look back at it now and and think that, you know, maybe if I did get a little bit more help and, um, you know, maybe, you know, things might have been different. But they were lessons learned for me uh, as hard as they were. And I, I definitely felt that same shame and that same feeling of, like going home with homework and then crying to mum oh. and dad, going, "I don't know how to do this. I don't even understand what it is." And then mum and dad not understanding yeah. what it was too, because they hadn't sat in the class that day and learnt what we were learning. So, I mean, man, I wasn't diagnosed with dyslexia until like my, my late
0: twenties. You know, like dyslexia when it, when I was growing up wasn't. You know wasn't a condition that, that was spoken about and if it was no one had ever heard of it it was just a learning i mean they weren't even calling it learning disabilities back then you know kind of weird because my my partner who i've been with dan like 15 years now he's a school teacher and he teaches anywhere from um k to year six um being with dan uh that's it's kind of weird. He he's one one of the real main influences of me learning how to read and write again. Like particularly uh, only only through the processes that he goes through, you know, when he teaches, it, it's been really beneficial to me. Like, um, yeah, I, like but like I said, mate, there was there wasn't a diagnosis. I'm now talking about it when I was six years old. That was 1971. Yeah. Yeah, they weren't talk- talking about kids having learning disabilities or dyslexia. You're either incapable or you weren't, you yeah.
1: know. Yeah. yeah, I know. It, we are a lot more educated on those things now. And, and yeah. you know, sometimes it makes it easier to, to know exactly what it is and, and have a label to it. So, yeah, I, I know where you're coming from there. Now, uh, rugby league for yourself as a young kid, did you know that you were talented?
0: Oh, I don't know, Sam. It's one of those things, Sam. I mean. Yeah, it was pretty fun. good. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty good. You know, like I mean, like it's one of those things. Where, when you when you win Best and fairest awards, that's kind of a root, like kind of a a normal thing. But I um, I will say my my dad was always not big on awards and that type of thing. You know? So it's like it, it never you could it, it could never have gone to your head. You know, like it was <laughs> yeah. it was never going to go. Like it was just. Um, as long as you have a go and you're doing your best, that, that was that was always enough for my. That was always a thing. My my, you know, they, my parents kind of based their whole uh, 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 parenting around that. Just as long as you do your best and give it your best shot, that's always good enough. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, I was always pretty small as a kid too. I played halfback and lock mostly up until you know until my my my, my 15, until I was about fifteen, sixteen.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and then I kind of you know went through the change of life and shot up. Um, Then just kind of graduated and grew into second
1: row, second row to front row. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now uh, you uh, debut at the age of twenty for South Sydney. Now growing up in the South Sydney area, getting the chance opportunity to play for South Sydney, how was that for you? Oh, daunting mate. It was terrifying. (laughs) <laughs> so, like, more, I was, do you think there was more
0: like, pressure? It was terrifying. <laughs> I was yeah. like, I, I was just like twenty-year-old kid playing against my m- one of my heroes was Craig Young, like who used to be a, like quite a superstar in front row, and that was my first game against St George, and I was like packing down against him. I just remember this whole sense of like, this is Craig Young, and then yeah, do I tackle him or do I, where, I get his autograph? <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. It's exactly oh, It's almost like oh, like. Um, I mean, later that year, I was over in Wigan, and I was playing against Les Boyd, who was another one of my superstars. And i like, but I remember being Les Boyd and thinking, "What do I do? I mean, I can't hit Les Boyd. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, it was, it was, you know, i that, that like, this is this like this super this superhero my idol. It was just like, it was one of those. The Craig Young thing was the same as well. But um, it was daunting. Man. I was playing alongside blokes like um, uh, David Boyle, Hookie, um, I Used to call him Hooky because his nose used nose used to point in every direction. It was broken.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it was
0: apparently broken. Les Davidson, Mario Fennick, that Wayne Chisholm. Um, yeah, it was a pretty hard, uh, yeah, hard case uh, pack that I was playing with. Um, and, and George Piggins was uh, was our coach. Was, was and also played with Gus Gould. But Gus was in that same team that year. That was his last year playing.
1: Yeah. So you spent a few years at South Sydney, and then you you head over to. To Manly, and you were one of the kind of early trendsetters of of jumping jumping ship for, to chase a bit of money. You you know, saw it as a business opportunity, and yeah, you went for a little bit more money uh, over to over to Manly.
0: Yeah, you didn't do that, mate. You didn't do that to South. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't a done thing back then. It was it was quite con- controversial at the time. Um, which I understand that was that was that was the way of the world back then, mate. Like loyalty meant everything, can, you know, it wasn't about the paycheck. I mean, you got to remember, Sam, too, that at this point, I mean, I was working as an electrician and everyone was still working like yeah. nine to five or you know, or in a trade, you know, seven to three. Mate, we used to train at 5.30 at night so everyone could get home from work, have a bite, then go to training. Was that like so? It, it isn't like it, it, like it, is know, now. it has become yeah. and, 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 and the progress. So, um, you know, back then, I you know, back, I mean, when I first started uh, at South Sam, my I took home um, it was about twelve thousand dollars, and I thought that was like monstrous money. Yeah. That's just back in '86, you know. What I mean, so I'm just giving you like, and and I'm mate, my my, the way I think about what what a player's worth, a player's worth worth is what anyone's willing to pay.
1: Yeah,
0: you know, what I mean, like if someone's willing to pay, he's obviously worth it to them. You know, like regardless. So when people criticise, uh, any form of sport, you know, of, of what people are earning, I said that I, I don't believe any people have a right to do that. So the opportunity came to go to, to Manly, and it like it, it simply dwarfed what I was. The money-wise, you know, it was it was nearly four or five times what I was earning at South. It was to have knocked it back would have been ridiculous. And I was I was kind of just one of the first guys to, to say to do it, to do it, like in or just to to take the money, not, not you know, I don't want to use that term, take the money and run, but um, I, I'm sure that's how a lot of the South supporters and, and, and even players at the time thought, felt that I was doing, was just taking the money and run. When you put all that much work in and you get a kid of Ian Roberts' capability and to see a club, you know, someone come along and just take take away a dream, which I believe that there's a dream there, we possibly
1: could take it out.
0: Um, but I, one of the other reasons I went to Manly too was that Graham Woe was I just um, signed on at Manly in 1990, and I trained with I'd been with Graham at Wigan in 86, in, uh, and
1: um, had a wonderful time uh, uh, with Lowy as, as the coach. Yeah. So you were at uh, Manly from uh, 1990 to actually 1996, but you sat out the year in 96.
0: That's yeah, that was they, because
1: of it. the year they won the grand final too. Yeah, mate, that was um,
0: that was because in '95, in well, after '94, after the tour, we come back. We were on the Kangaroo tour in '94. We come back, and that's when the whole Super League uh, News Limited thing blew up. And uh, and I signed for. Um, I, I ended up signing for for, uh, for Super League, but I was still open. I was still absolutely going to honour my NRL. My sorry then. It was then ARL ARL, uh, ARL contract, which didn't expire till the end of 86. But in in 95, I had a super year. We ended up losing the grand final, actually, to to Canterbury, the Bulldogs. Uh, But um, I'd had a super year. And as we were leading into half, no, it was about round six or seven, the ARL said any Super League aligned player had made this announcement. Any Super League aligned players were not going to be able to represent New South Wales, Queensland, or Australia.
1: Yeah,
0: I didn't think they'd follow through with that, but they followed. They did follow through with that because none of us was anyone who was Super League aligned, weren't uh, selected to play any of the state of origins, and henceforth so, so at the end of that, after we lost the grand final, there was a there was a bit of a mini tour. Uh, we were going over to England to play the World Cup. Uh, but none of the Super League players got picked. So I I didn't pick. So I, the the I, the reason I didn't play in in '96 is because I just felt like that the, the ARL dishonoured my contract. You know, I had full intentions of playing and obligating what I signed originally, and that I should have been eligible to play. So I actually sat the year out in protest. I mean, I think Gordon Tallis did as well, mate. Yeah, um, Gordy did as well. I never won a Premier but I, You know, I possibly could have won one that year, but I, it's one of those situations sometimes. Um, you know, I, I I still felt like I'd done the right thing. Like I absolutely felt validated in my decision to stand down from from playing, um, because I I I just felt that I, you know what the NRL had done was unjustified, and and uh, yeah, it, it definitely was in the good spirit spirit of the contract I signed.
1: And you uh, you head up to after your time at uh, Manly, you head up to Townsville and. In a part of the Cowboys how was that uh
0: move for i love i love towns but i can't tell you Sammy, i fell in love with Townsville. i mean i i mean um there was a bit there was a bit of pushback because it was i mean uh tim sheens made me club captain when i got there right yeah. and like that was i mean it was, it was wonderful for me it was like honestly such a like a privilege and uh an honor and like i you know it was quite humbling but also we're also talking about Sam uh, at a time sam when i was like publicly out as a gay man no, like, even though within the club, because I had a good relationship with, with with all the players, and I like to think all the staff and and uh, all the coaching, I like um, it wasn't really news that that, that, that Tim chose me because I was, it was either me or or Steve Walters or or uh, Johnny Lamax probably like Tim chose me, so. Because it, that was a, a valid, and I deserve. It was valid, and I and I deserved it. It was huge news outside of the club because it was the first. Like this is a gay man who'd been chosen as club captain to this this elite professional team sport. It was like worldwide news. It was kind of blew like it, it. Kind of, I mean, there was, wasn't the internet back there, but it kind of blew up the internet. If you know what I mean, it yeah. was almost like a crazy, crazy time. But it was wonderful, mate. It was. I loved Townsville. I mean, I. They so embraced me that I fell in love with, with, with the, the people up there with, with the pace of life. You know, there you go, you're all right. <laughs> bloody, bloody dry, eh? I mean, I love it, mate. I love it. It was just a wonderful, wonderful experience for me, mate.
1: I remember sitting on the hill as a. As a young kid, I don't. I'm unsure. Whether, oh, really? Whether it was Stockland Stadium back then or Dairy Farmers yeah. Stadium. So- oh. Stockland,
0: yeah, Stockland and, and, and Dairy mate, Farmers, yes. I, absolutely.
1: I, I sat under the post uh, nearly every game uh, and uh, cheered on the Cowboys and, at the brothers' end. So, yeah, I, right, I, okay,
0: wonderful, yeah.
1: <laughs> I saw you. I saw you roll around, mate. Just going to hit the rewind button a little bit here and, and and go back. You touched on it there a little bit, but um, uh, in 1994, you you came out publicly and. Um, and let the let the world know that uh, you ident- identify as a gay man. How was that for you? I think you've even uh, in the past you've called it the worst kept secret in rugby league. Yeah, I mean,
0: I have to say, I yeah. mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, even when I was at South, everyone kind of knew it, th- that I was gay. It was just this, um, and it was kind of weird, Sammy, because like privately, I, I wasn't closeted. I mean, I, I, I don't know, I don't know if that word's still acceptable or not. But I was. I mean, I was li- kind of living a gay life. Outside, like away from away from uh, rugby league, um, I'd always had you know same sex partners, um, and I mean I, I there was it's kind of weird. I remember one time George Piggins called me over, and I like I had the utmost respect for George, and he was he was the conversation we were about to have was only because he was concerned about me, and it was a, a, quite an admirable fatherly thing to do he just said mate i'm a bit worried because there's been some story you know worse the effect of a bit worried that there's been some stories of you know you've been seen knocking around up in oxford street now you know it's it's not going to be very good for you like plane wise in your in your uh in your reputation and i just said oh george i just i said worse the effect george <laughs> i don't know what reputation i have george i mean i you know it's just uh, that's just what I do, mate. And he was like, well, mate, as long as you, I just want to let you know that people know that you, you're doing it. So it, it was kind of a sweet, endearing moment, you know? Like, I mean, <laughs> could
1: it, I... It, like, it was, it was, it's almost that awkward conversation you do have with your father, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> just like, oh, uh, um, you know, the, 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 the gay word wasn't spoken, but he's just like, oh, you know, like, okay, well, as long as you know that people know and blah, blah, yeah. But, I mean, that's um, that would be quite a familiar story to... I should imagine, to, particularly to a, um, to a lot of you know, any of the LGBTIQ listeners that you've got, mate, that they, they would have uh, had allies who, who are not knowing how to how to talk to them or how to reassure them that they're um, that they're not being judged. As George was trying to do at that moment, he was just like, mate, as long as you are playing good footy, that's good enough for me, you know. Right?
1: Yeah. Now, yeah. Uh, when you when you did come out uh, publicly. Did you think there was going to be a different reaction? Did you think things were going to get, um, I don't know, not that they were going to get easier for you, but was it the reaction that you thought that you were going to get?
0: Ah, oh, it was it was both hot and cold, at different points. But I would say, mate, like the rugby league community just embraced me, mate. It was so like so incredibly flattering. It was so incredibly um, humbling. Uh, and I'm not saying there weren't the naysayers. Were there were, mate. They were, they, 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 but they were far. Like they were very few and far between, as compared to to the overwhelming support of like love and affection and and um, admiration that that was uh, that flowed my way, mate. It was it was wonderful. Like, yeah, it was just yeah, it was just an incredible experience. I I don't know what I expected, but I I just know that when I came out, I just remember going on the ninety four tour, and I just remember before I left, just thinking I'm going on this tour as a gay man. I'm not going to pretend. And everyone on that tour instantly knew that because uh, my, my then partner came over on tour, and I have this wonderful story, mate. Um, you, you know what the rules are when you're on tour, and that you know, like partners, wives, and girlfriends aren't allowed to stay with you in yeah, the hotel, different hotel, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I do remember, like, I remember getting this phone call off off Bose, and this is a, like a few about three weeks into the uh, into the tour, and. Um, uh, my partner Shane had come over, but he was staying up. He was staying further. We were staying in Leeds up in the the north of England. But Shane was staying in a hotel further up. Uh, and I'd see Shane every day at some point, whatever. But you know, I was in the uh in the in the team hotel. That's where I was staying. He was staying up in his hotel. But I got this phone call off Bose. And uh, just to get a phone call off Bose normally means you're getting dropped or there's been some sort of like uh other uh, adverse situation you've been involved <laughs> in on the media or on the same, I'm just yeah. like, and I hung up and I just said to Terry Hill, who was my roommate, I said, Terry, Bose just calling me, mate. I've got to go up and see him now. He says, it's it's ultra important. I've got, like, I'm like, I think I'm getting dropped, mate. I'm like, what? I, I'm, and I've been in really good form. I'm thinking, shit, all these scenarios are going through in the hedge, and I'm just like, what have I done? I'm just like, I haven't been drinking or nothing like that. You know, all my drug tests are fine. Nothing can't be anything like that. I just like, but the panicking, not more the, the concern in Bose's voice. Anyway, so I get up there, I knock on the door, and he says, Oh, come in, Robert. And open the door. And he's pacing the room, mate, up and down. He's up like a caged tiger. I'm just like, fuck, what is going on? And he says, sit down, Robert. And, he, and I said, Bose, mate, is is everything okay? I said, I'm a bit worried. He says, uh, mate, I... He, says, he keeps pacing up and down. He says, mate, I don't know how to say this, mate. And I'm like, fuck, he's going to... And then I'm thinking, oh, maybe there's a tragedy or like a situation at home, like yeah. someone's... One thing's happened to my mum and dad or... I'm just like, fuck. I said, "Boys, just say it, mate. And he stops and he sits down and he, and he sits on the end of the bed. He says, Robbo, mate, Shane can't stay with you in the hotel. And I said... What? he's not busy. He's staying up the road in the hotel, and he was like, "Oh, great, mate! No, not a problem. No, that's all I needed to hear. Mate. Good, mate. Off you go, mate. Not, not a problem. That's all, and, mate. We were just, a, mate. We maybe they all good, mate. All good. And I, it was just such a wonderful moment, Sam. I got up, and as I left, I turned around. And I just said to bows "We had that beautiful. I had the mo I had the most incredible professional work." working relationship with bose i just said to bose thank you so much bose for having this conversation mate i can't tell you bose how much of a difference you just made to me and he's like all good robbo i don't care mate all good <laughs> It was just such It was a really wonderful I mean, I, it was so sad like when, when i heard that bose had passed last week um oh yeah it's just it was very for me it hit me yeah it was very personal mate he was a uh, I had a wonderful, wonderful relationship with that
1: man. Yeah, you know, majority of the players kind of uh, embraced it, but you, you did touch on the fans and said that it was few and far between. But there there, there were some fans out there that, that didn't take to it very well, did
0: they? Oh, absolutely, mate,
1: absolutely. I mean, I got um, – I had uh,
0: – particularly when I was in public a couple of times, I, I – you know, like but um, but what I'm about to say, Sam. I would say is not unfamiliar to any LGBTIQ person. I mean, I, we all face you know, a great deal of us unfortunately have to face quite um, confronting um, uh, situations, both verbally and physically in the public. Uh, and that that absolutely happened to me. I, I think mate, when I came out, you, you instantly have a bit of a target on your back as well because you're openly gay, and it's just like you know, there's still that. There is very much, Sam. Still, that uh, particularly within men's professional team sports, you know, being gay is still seen as a weakness. It's just seen as, but there's this misconception. There's still a lot of. There's there's still a lot of learning to be done. Sam. Yeah, like I mean, um, and that's why, yeah. You know, so I, I I like having these conversations, mate. Yeah, mate, and absolutely, mate. When I first came out, I, I um, it was a couple of t- times on 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 the street that. There were very violent situations happened because of me having to defend, if not myself, someone I was with. Yeah, yeah.
1: Now you you, you had to do that a few times, didn't you? Well,
0: that's, more than a few like, times, yeah. mate. Unfortunately, it's so like, and it's it's kind of weird. <laughs> I mean, I'm laughing. I shouldn't be laughing. I mean, I only just quite recently, like someone called me a puffer, right? And I and I just I was like, scratch my head. i was just like, I haven't heard that term for such a long time. I said I must really be old because I, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, like this is old school. Like this is old, old school homophobia being called a put. I'm just like, okay. And the guy, the guy was actually quite old. I said, oh, okay. Well, like, I mean, I 99 like of the time now, saying that that stuff is water off a duck's back. You know, it's yeah. just like you just roll with it. It's, oh, okay, I know that, that stuff doesn't upset me. It, it normally, you know, I will say something, and it. Once again, I keep saying that this is not an unfamiliar story of the LGBTIQ people. What does upset me is if I'm even at with people at the time, it does upset other people you're with because you can't protect people. You know, you just it's like my mum and dad when I used to come to the footy. What used to upset me was when people would scream stuff at me, I knew they were somewhere in the in, in in the crowd. And I knew a lot of times they heard that and they did, yeah. you know, because we right. spoke about that. But it's just sometimes, you know, as much as you love people, you can't protect them from being who you are. Just like that—that's—that's—that was a big learning curve in itself for me, Sam. It's like, you know, I have to stop trying to pretend. I mean, that's kind of the reason you know I, I didn't come out is because I was always worried about how other people would be affected by it. Just like instead of this, being you know, oh, this is just about me. I just want to, I just want to live, you know, my liberty. I just want my own sense of self. I think, like Ian's,
1: reasonings probably for not coming out earlier was because of his role in the community, I suppose, playing football. Football has a, got a tough image and it's a real you, men's uh, game. When do you tell your parents? Not At game what game?
0: age? Uh, mate, I was um, in my early 20s. Uh, early 20s. Um, a bit, I think it might have been about... I think it was... Eight, well, it was 89. Um, I was about 23, 24. Now, yeah, I, I came out... It was an awful way to have to come out. I mean. You know, I don't know how people are going to perceive this story as being inspirational, inspirational or tragic. But I can promise you, Sam, that there are thousands more stories out there, more inspirational, a thousand times more inspirational, and a thousand times, let me tell you, more tragic. Um, my mum used to work at Qantas. This is how this is the situation. I was playing for South at the time. Um, my mum used to work at Qantas, and I was having, a, I was, I was in really good form. I was, I, and there was a big, there was an article on me. In the paper this particular day about a chance of being picked for origin. Uh anyway, this and two boys were, were sitting opposite my mum in the corner's lunchroom that, that day, reading this article, not knowing that my mum was sitting opposite them.
1: Yeah.
0: And one of the boys, I mean, I I don't know if I'm allowed to use some language, but I mean you you can cut this out. I've got to say it the way it was said, because this is how this this one boy said to another, and I, I hate yeah oh, that's Andy Robbins. he got caught sucking some guy off in Oxford Street. now my mum heard all of that yeah uh, it was devastating. I mean people can laugh and that like and people do laugh when I tell them a joke I said but but I mean'm I'm, I'm just trying imagine for that moment that the, the person this is your mother. it's like me being gay. It's hard to say, that, and that's what I'm saying. About you can't protect people. I mean, yeah. like you know, you can't protect people you love. Like sometimes you just have to accept who you are, and so do they. Anyway, so my mum obviously, my mum had to leave. She, she had to get leave work there, and went home. I got a phone call from my dad later. You know, boy, you need to come around and, and talk to us. I got in. I, I got. I went round there, and uh, after I got home from training, I went home. Got the phone call from dad. Then I went to my mum and dad's. Um, I thought someone had died. My mum was in tears. My dad was like in tears, not knowing how to say it. And he just said, look, we sat down and like, oh, just tell me, Dad, what's happened? Say, oh, blah, blah, blah. He said, Oh, your mother said something at work, blah, blah, blah. And we just want to hear you say you're not gay and that's good enough for us. And I was like, Oh, just that moment. I mean, every and every LGBTIQ person knows the moment I'm talking about now. That moment's like, no, this, I don't know, I can't this is no. And I remember looking at the TV, I was like getting sucked into the TV type situation and thinking, no, I don't want this anymore, Dad, I'm gay. You know? And I was like, it was this hilarious moment. Like, I look back now, it's hilarious. My dad's like, but you play front row. <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah. I mean, how, like, how did you even go there? Like, that was like this yeah. this, 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 uppercut. It was like, where, how did you even get to that? But, you know, my mum was screaming, it was just not nice anyway. Like, it was one of those moments and um, it ended up being a really bad situation. I had a really bad relationship with my mum and dad for a couple of years after that. Uh, didn't see much of them because the, uh, they struggled to, to, um, to understand and accept, uh, yeah. Um, but you know that's I, I, I've, I've said it three or four times now, mate. You know it's not an unfamiliar story for anyone in the LGBTIQ. Yeah, and community.
1: And, and around that time too, there was a, a huge stigma around the gay community and, and AIDS, H- right. HIV and AIDS. Yeah, AIDS was AIDS was massive at that point. in
0: time. Oh, so. it was huge, mate. I mean, I, I you know like I, when I was sixteen was that was that 1981, mate. That's when the you know like the first HIV uh, case was. Diagnosed here, here in Australia. That's when, that's when the AIDS epidemic started. I mean, I, I, I you know, me becoming sexually mature and be and, and becoming um, active in the community as uh, as a gay man. That was right at the start of that. I mean, I'm, I'm so fortunate, Sam, that that, that I um, that I didn't contract the virus. I mean, I was, you know, I was, I was quite, um, uh, you know. I, I I was very, I was very, I was very sexual, you know, from, from my late teens and 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 particularly early early twenties. it wasn't until I was about twenty one, twenty two, I realised the serious the seriousness of yeah. what you know, HIV and AIDS was. You know, I, I mean my first two uh, partners, uh, boyfriends, um, both passed away from, from HIV AIDS. I mean, I was, I mean, I'm just so fortunate, Sam, and so lucky that I, you know, I that I didn't contract the virus. And you're right, mate, there was so much stigma around it at the time. and there was that whole bowling ball, you know, the 10-pin the bowling commercial stuff happening. The fact is, over 50,000 men, women and children now carry the AIDS virus. That in three years, nearly 2,000 of us will be dead. Um, and it was like, you know, AIDS was, it was, you know, I mean, internationally it's it's cool like at the uh, the numbers are still incredible like it's it's still it's still an epidemic
1: yeah i lost uh, a lot uh, of AIDS. friends sam i um but not just to aids too to to you know to suicide as well
0: oh uh, absolutely mate I, yeah um uh yeah and i've it's, it's I, I yeah the suicide has this is no okay don't like to keep saying that. This is not an unfamiliar story the LGBTIQ people. What I'm saying now, yeah, I've lost, um, you know, ones too many. I've lost a number of people like extremely close to me to to uh, to suicide. Um, yeah, it's it, it, that's an ongoing struggle. like, you know, for, for, for a lot of for a lot of people, mate. I um, actually do a uh, I just recently um, done a course for for Lifeline in. Uh, As an emergency counsellor, yeah, incredibly um, humbling and um, yeah, grounding. Let me put it like that, mate. uh, Yeah, we we still have a lot of work to do socially and and and, uh, as a community. I mean, eight people a day take their life, you know, in Australia. I mean, if we were losing eight people a day, you know, uh, to COVID yeah and i'm not i'm not going to make it i'm not going to stand here and start you know rabbiting on about it mate it is it's 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 an epi- it's still an epidemic at the moment
1: i said it in the opener you you were viewed uh as uh angry a, an aggressive player and enforcer. <laughs> uh, you know uh there, there was a there's hey there was a fair few forwards out there that uh feared ian roberts but um, I just wanted, I want to read this little quote to you. I found this quote, actually, and it's, um, uh, I don't know, I quite like it, to be honest. And it says, uh, don't be quick to judge me. After all, you only see what I choose to show you. Now, uh, looking and, you know, again, I uh, just saw you play a little bit of footy. So I was kind of starting rugby league in uh, 97 and 98 as a young kid and, um, you know, falling in love with the game. and seeing you up there playing for the North Queensland Cowboys. But looking back on some of the vision of you playing, uh, you were a player that I would have loved to have on my team because you were that you know that that type of player. But was the way you played footy was that was that you wearing a mask? Because I have met you and you are one of the nicest human beings that I know and, and you are so giving. But on that football field you were ferocious. What a t- all was
0: flying uh, thank you for saying that Sam um I was I was really competitive mate. I just wanted to win I just like uh, and I think at, you know at 25 you can probably appreciate yourself mate. Um, you know rugby league players are gladiators you know this really isn't a start this is like being fed to the Lions type thing and, and it, you it's also Rapping is also theatre. It's a form of theatre. I mean, it is played in this in a stadium. You know, people do. Become, yeah. you know, so it, it, there is a there is a sense of, of creativity and, and like it, your skills, your creativity. I mean, I I was so passionate about. Um, like wanting to be the best, or just uh, and, and just not, and you must have had those moments on the, on the field, Sam. It becomes so addictive that drug of adrenaline or whatever it is, or that supreme confidence when you know you can turn a game, or like you know you have the capability of potentially you can change you can alter this moment right now, and we are going to win. And it's almost like you become sure of it. I mean, it's just, um, yeah, I mean, that's really addictive. And I, I do remember back in the, um, early early 90s when I was at manly and that it, with that that feeling of making that perfect hit, that that can I and mean, you must have had those feelings yourself yeah. you you just know it's just like and it's an adrenaline rush it's like you, you get up there and it's like you it's just theatrical thing it's just like this drama it's it's like it's high intensity drama but playing out in front of you it's just and it's it's great that people like the cheer of the the sound of the of of the crowd and that that's it's such a drug Matt. I um I just wanted to win. I mean, I wanted to win at almost any cost, regardless of how much you damage the opposition or how much you hurt the opposition. I often crave that that, that sense of. of um
1: absolute... Um, it's, it's, it is it's power.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know what it is. Yeah. I don't know how to explain You know exactly what I'm talking about. I know yeah. you do, Sam. It's almost like whatever that is, it's like that, that adrenaline rush that I am in total control here and total confidence. It's like this supreme confidence. Yeah, without, of, of without being, being
1: cocky or arrogant, there is a confidence Yeah. In it. And I think that's why you see a lot of rugby league players when they finish playing football and retiring is you see them oh. crash because you have had these... Massive natural highs throughout your whole that's, career, and then when they're gone, they're they're gone.
0: So dark, mate. It's so it can be so dark. I mean, I think every every player goes through that when they retire. You go like, and just just the camaraderie, you know, like uh, of being with the players, every, you know, like five six days a week, and that, that's that that's quite addictive as well. And then when you retire, that's all gone. It's just like, what do I do now? I mean, I. I mean, I did struggle. I had a I had a nervous breakdown in 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 '99 when I left the Cowboys and was hospitalised for three weeks. Um, uh, and I've been on medication most of my time since then, for, for anxiety and and that type of thing. But I I was kind of lucky in the fact that um, three years out after I left the uh, the Cowboys, I was back in Sydney. I. I when I was at school, I used to always be part of the ensemble, the acting thing. I mean, I was always good at sport, but it, but I was always scared to be part of the ensemble because you know it's it's awful language. But back then, when I was a kid, that that's where all the that's what all the pansies and queers did. Like you couldn't be that, mate. But I always wanted to be in the place. I, even though i was always, I was just one of the extras almost, I was always in the background there. I still lo- I still love doing musical theatre and that thing. I loved it. Sam. I, I still love it.
1: Please don't tell me you were always the tree.
0: <laughs> it's a tree, the tree or, the or, I was, or I was a sheep, or I was, or, or, or you know, I was that lamb, or, or, or the goat in the back, you know. Nah, nah. <laughs> that, that was, um, but yeah, mate. Uh, three years out from after I retired, I, my car broke down in, in Kensington, and in Kensington, there's a place called the uh, the National Institute of Dramatic Arts, NIDA. It's an acting place. And I, as I was walking up to get to see to the service station to see if someone could fix my car. Actually, I had to walk by NIDA and I just thought, I'll oh, pop in there and see if there's someone, I wouldn't mind getting see if there's someone give me a bit of training or maybe get back into acting. Yeah. Changed my life, mate. Best thing, wanted, it's the best decision over that. Car breaking down was perfect. It was the best thing I ever did. I went back in, I went in there to, um, into NIDA, met a, an actor, uh, teacher by the name of uh, Kevin Jackson. Changed my life. One of the most important people in my life taught me that dys- dyslexia is not a th- thing to worry about he gave me a bit of homework and I said when I said to him Man, I can't read him I can't he wanted me to like sight read for him when I was there and I said I can't read mate. he said well, just take it home he said Look, we'll t- we, you know, we, we recorded the scene and he said take this home and learn it um, and I, I he was like so unfazed about me not being able to read it. he was and I was like ah oh. then the next day I went back and and I would learned you know through playing I'd learned it and then he was like, oh no, he was the first person that hadn't made a thing of me not being able to read and write. Like, it was the most empowering, one of the most empowering moments in my life, just saying, oh, he's, he was really not making any fuss at all. He's like, he's so not, well, he's like, oh, that's not an issue. He said dyslexia, that's not a thing. It's like, that's when I first learned about dyslexia. And I was like, well, well, not the first time I'd heard about dyslexia at that stage, but I was like, he was like, no, that's not a thing. Don't worry about it. Well, so then I, I mean, I ended up learning read and write in the next three years through phonetics and that type of thing. Totally changed my life, mate. Like, it was one of those beautiful moments. And, and that, the energy that I used to put in into sport and, and training and playing, my energy was, was released in, in creatively in the arts and, and acting. And it was like, it was wonderful, mate. I went into a three-year degree. Such an incredible experience, Sam. It was like, it was equal to anything I've done in football.
1: The girl belongs to me. You believe I need
0: Human Resources says you'll need to return your BlackBerry and keys. So,
1: rugby league is viewed as sometimes by a lot of different people as a, as a real boys' club. Uh, some may even say a caveman's club. Um, <laughs> do you think that's why uh, it, it's probably been so long since since someone else has has, has come out openly gay?
0: Well, my neighbour in the UK, in the Super League, they, uh, Keegan played for uh, Witness. He yep. just retired, actually. Uh, he retired last year. I mean, Ke- Keegan played the last three years of, of um, in Super League as an openly game man over there. Uh, Gareth Thomas also was an ex-Welsh Rugby Union guy who ended up playing his last year in the Super League over in, in England. That, that was about 10 years ago. Uh, yeah. 10 years ago. So th- there's been a couple of people internationally Within rugby league, but predominantly within professional team sports, male team sports. I mean, women have got it all, all sorted, mate. In the women's sport, they're all over it. Yeah. there isn't this stigma there is, um, the men's game. Um, yeah, women are like streets, streets ahead of us. Like, but yeah, coming back to your question, mate, about the caveman mentality, I still think, mate, a lot of it is, you know, like people, people ask me, you know, is is do you think there's anyone gay? or, you know, not only really gay or bisexual playing rugby league. And I'm like, well, you know, but, you know, it's it's for each and every person to decide their future and 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 come out when they're ready. But, you know, to say that you don't... You know, I've had people say that they don't believe there is. I'm just like, that's an insane thing to say. Yeah. I mean, it, it just can't be... You know, there's somewhere between 5 and 10% of the population fall within the LGBTIQ uh, community, like within our... You know, within the greater community. To think that that I've been the only male in, in the last, I mean, God, Sam, I, I came out, what is it now, like 26 years ago?
1: Yeah.
0: You know, like, and I wasn't, you know, I might have been the first to come out in Australia, but I wasn't even the first then. That, you know, there were others before me. Yeah. You know, like, so, I don't know, mate. It's, it does make it difficult, the whole, you know, there's still that sense of, you know, the, the locker room thing that home, that whole homoerotic nature, that, that, that misconception, it's, There's still, like I said, mate, before, there's still a lot of learning to be done. You know, it's just like, there's still fear of that, you know, like in the shower. It's just like, I mean, I'd like to tell a story. There was actually a situation or something like that in the shower situation. I remember someone was uncomfortable with me being in there. And I was just like, mate, don't flatter yourself. And like, trust me, trust me, trust me, you are safe. You know, <laughs> you what know, but you know, you know, I mean, I, I'm just I'm just trying to like, yeah, I <laughs> yeah, yeah solve that with yeah. humour, mate. But it's, but there is still very much. It's still a danger. It's still potentially a very dangerous, dangerous space. You know, that 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 men's that men that men, that man space that you know the locker room, whatever that space is, that that, that the men's club, that atmosphere, that aura is still a very dangerous club. Potentially a very dangerous place, and it's and it's great that the guys like yourself, mate, want to you know want to be allies, you know, for the LGBTIQ community. To do, want to be inclusive? Want to have want to have this conversation we're having now? Yeah, I mean, I quite literally say I'm telling with all my heart, mate. The conversation you and I are having now will potentially save lives. Yeah, because some guy out, some kid, you know, was, you know, guy or girl, or or any uh, or whatever they fall in the spectrum might this this could possibly make all the difference to them out in the suburbs. You know, like, you know, I don't want to, you know, when, when people talk so adversely and, and so downgrade and, and diminish the LGBTIQ community, mate, it, it, and there are kids in the suburbs, you know, really struggling, like, literally day to day, it's a survival thing. And some kids, you know, like, I don't like, it's just, you know, kids are literally killing themselves, Sam, it's awful, mate. Like, if people could see the consequences, and and I say this because Again, this is such a familiar story to me, in the LGBTIQ community. It's like that's why it's I think it's wonderful, Sam, that you, that you, you know you want to have these conversations. That 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 um, people you know uh, who have a voice you know, use it the right way. It's empowering. it. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Melon. Yeah. Thank you, Sam. Thank you.
1: Well, that almost gets me to the point of what you're doing with your life now. Uh, you're doing a lot of work out there. You're using your voice. You're using your, your profile to uh, get your story out there and, and try and change that stigma.
0: Yeah, Sam, I, I decided like uh, there's a really like upsetting story about a young kid. Like, in, in 2016, I t- named Ty- Tyrone Unsworth, a 13-year-old kid who took his own life. He was uh, a gay kid who was bullied at school. You know, just a beautiful kid, and just really, when I read the story, this is you know five years. I just, I just one of those moments. like I just had enough. It's just like this is crazy. This poor kid, this 13-year-old kid, felt so helpless and so alone. It's just, but that's not an unfamiliar story again. You know, it's just like, and then I, I was just like, well, shit. No one else is talking about this. How can I use my platform with all the voice or the all those you know, the the, the small profile I, I have? How can I use that to to to, to help? raise awareness or help or, or helps, you know start conversations so you know i'm also involved you know, i spoke to the nrl about their their inclusive programs that we run we, we run a um, theater sports uh group out of the nrl which is great too i also talk around at, at schools and that um do a lot of uh, public speaking at schools about you know uh, be, about being bystanders and upstanders they're really important to me like those types of things um, you know, but it's the old philosophy, Sam, for me, you know, what you're willing to walk by is what you're willing to accept, you know. It's just like, but that and that Knowsworth story really changed me. It was just like, no, it's this, this, like, it, it's, if no one else, I mean, if no one else is going to do it, what can you do? It's like what you're doing, you know, with your podcast. It's just like, well, you know, I can use, I can use whatever profile it is to an advantage Hopefully, and and make a little bit of difference. I I would just say about kids in the suburbs who might hear this, mate. That might be you know, it's not just kids. It's it's grown people as well. It's it's um, yeah. I'm now fifty five, Sam. It's you know, it's I um, yeah. You know, I still say the the strongest thing I can do to help the LGBTIQ community on a daily basis is just simply to hold my partner's hand when I'm when I'm in public. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, no, I, no, say, it, I do it because silly. I love him. I mean, I absolutely do it because <laughs> I love him. But, but you you've got, you know, what you can't be what you don't see. You've got to, you've got to, that's, This is the way to normalise things. And I'm not, I, but and you know, unfortunately, a lot of people, a lot of couples in my community, LGBTIQ community, still don't feel safe to do that because there's still there's still abuse. You know, there's still verbal abuse, which isn't uncommon. And also, use of language, mate. There's there's a lot of demeaning language that we throw, you know, words like gay and that they get used on just like as a casual insult or is it, you know, oh, that's so gay or whatever. It's just, that's so demeaning. It's just so like it's creating barriers, it's creating um, you know, d- division yeah. in-
1: between us. Yeah, it's coming from a level of uneducation at the end of the
0: day. Yeah, fall. yeah. And that's all it is, mate. I mean, just like it's just, you know, we, we can all we yeah it's all good we can all learn we can all learn you know like i'm still learning now mate like i mean I'm.
1: you You can you can say this is this is wrong for me to say or or not it's, it's totally up to you but you've acted in superhero movies before so i'm going to say this with with gay powers comes gay responsibility
0: I absolutely feel that responsibility now yeah. and I, I openly embrace it, mate. It is my responsibility, mate. Yeah. I mean, I have... This this human being here in front of you that you're talking to has a responsibility. I feel my way is, you know, is to, to look out for other people, to, to make it a better environment for everyone. A better environment for everyone is a better environment for me as well. I absolutely feel that, mate. And it's, I don't feel like it's a responsibility, a, a weight. I don't feel like it's a weight anymore. I've, I, I, used to, I used to get... Um, I used to think that people, you know, like people get get tired of hearing you bang on about the same thing. I mean, I've had, I've done talks, you know. Oh, what are you going to bang on? Are you still bang on about that? Like just like, but I I get that it hasn't too.
1: Has like, so that's why he keep on talking about it. That's, that's, yeah. that's
0: exactly right, mate. That's exactly <laughs> you just hit the nail on the head. So that's it, and I and I'm sure you understand what I'm talking about. There, it's just like, okay, yeah, but I've got him, mate, because um, not because. You know, it's not just because there's not many other people doing this, but I'm in. A, I am in a unique situation, with, particularly with rugby league, but within men's sport within Australia, yeah. because I'm it. Like for that LGBTQ person who's lived the life of the sport, been involved, came out while they were playing, had to endure all that, and there was a, lit, you know. And I'm not saying how, how wonderful that was, but that's just my that's just my my story, my path to where I, to me talking to you now. But you know, I'm. We said before, 26 years ago, I came out. I didn't think 26 years ago, when I first came out, I thought, oh, this will just, you know, there won't be a flood of people. It might make it a little bit easier. I might just, I should imagine, you know, there'll be there'll be a trickle. I didn't think 26 years down the track, there's like literally a zip. Yeah. I'm just like that, 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 that in itself. You know, demonstrates that there's still a huge, huge issue. There's still a huge problem because, we, and we spoke about this already. If you think I'm the only person that ever, you know, like any game man that's ever played any, you know, contact professional team sport in Australia, like that's ridiculous. You're kidding yourself.
1: It's yeah. just, yeah, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, the numbers and the stats say. That's right. Yeah, Thank you. Otherwise, yeah. So, well, in, in saying that and touching yeah. on that, and and absolutely, I do not want you to name any person. Or throw anyone under the bus because at the end of the day, that's their journey, and and it's their, has anyone personally contacted you, even just to have a conversation, within the 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 male dominated sports.
0: Oh, absolutely, Sam. Yeah, yeah absolutely, Sam. Absolutely, mate. Like, um, yeah, and, and I'm, I'm not uh, three times since I've since I've done it. Like, yeah. you know, that's not a lot, but that, that that is three times. Just like, I mean, just just conversations. And I, 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 I would tell, probably say to you in the audience, what you know, you know, you need to be safe and feel confident. Yeah. A, 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 about t- t- telling the world, like you know, you need you, you need to feel like it's a safe environment. If you don't think you can do it, or you're not feeling safe, like, but that's the biggest issue. So it's about feeling safe and about. It's that whole thing. It took me a long time to understand that you can't protect the world from yourself from being who you are. Yeah, you can keep trying, but you know nothing's going to change. You are, you know you can't change who you are. All you're going to do is keep trying to pretend, or keep trying to protect, and it wears you down. It's I found it just too exhausting. I mean, um, but yeah, I mean I definitely have had that conversation, and it's. Um, you know it's up to each and every person in their own time it's you know I, I don't believe in outing but I, I think that's like ghastly when, when people out people or th- think it's um, that somehow that's just um, yeah and you know, I, I I can't I can't justify anything like that mate.
1: Thank you very much for uh, for joining me thank you very much for, <laughs> for sharing your story uh, the work you're doing is uh incredible at the moment and um i look forward to uh maybe working with you a little bit more in the future
0: i'd love to sam i'd love to i love the podcast mate and and thank you very much for inviting me along and and, um yeah uh, i really really respect mate, what you're doing yeah you're so yeah you're potentially saving lives mate. more power to you
1: thank you very much mate